Thanks for listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, joined as always by my magnificent co-host, Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how's it going today? Everything's going very well, Celeste. Really looking forward to today's timely show. I'm I'm very happy that you uh, chose this topic that you'll introduce in a moment, because I think given that we have Election Day coming up right around the corner next week, uh, this is a very important topic. So thank you for uh, booking today's show and for focusing on this topic. My pleasure, as always. So obviously, we're coming up, of course, to the midterms. So I thought it'd be a good idea today to roll out our discussion with our two great guests by just taking a moment to listen to what President Biden had to say last night in his televised address, speaking near the Capitol building at a DNC. This intimidation. The president sounded alarms about an American system of democracy threatened by lies about the integrity of our elections and the vitriol and violence fomented by those lies. Here's a taste of what he said. This intimidation, this violence against Democrats, Republicans, and nonpartisan officials just doing their jobs are the consequence of lies told for power and profit, lies of conspiracy and malice, lies repeated over and over to generate a cycle of anger, hate, vitriol, and even violence. In this moment, we have to confront those lies with the truth. The very future of our nation depends on it. My fellow Americans, we're facing a defining moment, an inflection point. We must, with one overwhelming, unified voice, speak as a country and say there's no place, no place for voter intimidation or political violence in America whether it's directed at Democrats or Republicans. No place, period. No place ever. Of course, the choice of location near the Capitol, the site of the January 6th, 2021 insurrection, was no accident. And the timing of the speech comes not just before Election Day, although voting is already well underway, but also soon after the violent assault of the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at the couple's home in San Francisco. And we've also just seen an important court decision that came down in Arizona. That's where a judge ruled to limit the actions of a group called Clean Elections USA. Now, according to that case, that group was disseminating false information about voting and had drawn claims of intimidation by staking out early ballot drop-off sites and not only photographing voters using those boxes, but posting pictures of them online. It really says a lot about the temperature of these midterm elections that even before the hearing, Clean Elections USA has had already agreed to... Uh, to not have its supporters openly carry guns or wear body armor near these drop boxes. 
At the same time, we have been hearing about mistreatment and threats against election workers, not to mention the stories about election deniers, deniers, those people who still falsely insist Joe Biden is not the legitimately elected president of the United States. People not only running for high office, but also joining the system of how we actually run elections and count votes in our cities and states. So later in the show, we're going to open up our phone lines so you can chime in on all of this. How concerned are you about the state of our democracy? First, just a quick reminder that to keep bringing you these vital conversations, WBAI needs your help. Please go to WBAI.org today and pledge your support in the name of this program driving forces. Our BAI Buddy Program makes it super easy to set up a recurring monthly donation in any amount you choose. Help keep free speech radio alive and well in New York. Go to WBAI.org to give today and thanks. Now we're going to go right on to our first guest. We're happy to welcome Grace Panetta back to WBAI. Grace is a political reporter with the 19th News. It's an independent nonprofit newsroom reporting on gender, politics, and policy. She previously worked at Insider for four years covering politics with a focus on elections and voting. And she holds a degree in political science from Barnard College. So Grace Panetta, welcome back to Driving Forces. Thank you so much, Celeste. It's so great to be here. And Grace, it's wonderful to meet you. Before we get into the topic at hand, the 19th news is relatively new to the scene. For So for our listeners who may not be familiar with it yet, tell us a little more about your outlet and what you do there. Yes, absolutely. So the 19th is a nonprofit national newsroom founded, uh, launched early 2020. So we've been around for a little under three years now. And we cover everything relating to the intersections of gender, politics, and policy. So as a politics reporter, I write a lot about female candidates, issues of gender on the ballot um, and in the election administration context. So, Grace, we're going to get to some of your more recent work soon. I'm excited to talk about uh, some of your latest stories with you, but just want to do a little bit of a rewind. The last time we had you here on the program, which was back in uh, December of 2021, you and I, we talked about a piece that you and some other great political and elections reporters helped me write for Neiman Reports, which is a journal of the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard. And that piece was very broadly about covering 21st century voter suppression. So I'd be interested to hear from you now, almost a year later. What do you think about what's going on right now with threats against democracy, particularly when it comes to voting and things like election deniers, both running for office and getting involved in election administration? Yeah, that's a great question. I think from the journalism context, we've all really had to adapt to this new reality where you have dozens of people on the ballot seeking votes, seeking to be elected to the democratic system who actively undermine that system um, with their words, do not necessarily commit to accepting the result if they lose. Obviously, the most prominent example of this is former President Trump. And it's just not something that our democracy recently has been used to, right? It's relied on this good faith understanding that we all agree to the same rules of the game. And if you lose, you just try again next time. That is not the case anymore. Um, and so now, you know, newsrooms, many have entire democracy desks and beats, uh, which is great, but it just shows how much things have changed and also how much we took a lot of our democracy for granted. 
And Grace, over the last few years, there has been much more active, ongoing coverage of the process of voting and election law. What's your sense of how much that this is helping inform the public about the way this is supposed to work? What is motivating these election deniers and and how worried should we be about them? Yeah, I think it's really helped a lot. It's great that both so many media outlets, both local and national, are focused on this and are focused on digging in um, and, you know, getting the facts right and providing information to people and others in the nonprofit space. Like VoteBeat is now a nonprofit newsroom totally focused on election administration. But, you know, it is, to your point, it's necessary because we have all these people seeking elected office, in some cases seeking oversight over the way our elections are run who, you know, push misinformation, who will not commit to accepting the results, who want to make changes uh, to the system that could disenfranchise people or just make the process um, a lot more complicated and difficult and lay the groundwork for more elections to be challenged. And what I think about how worried we should be, one good thing that came out of 2020 is we saw how robust our court and legal system is to overturning the results of elections, right? Um, but it's what I think is most concerning now being the kind of candidates who are seeking these positions is how much it could be like a death by a, cu- a thousand cuts thing of just mucking up the system by trying to push through these bureaucratic changes um, and changes to election practices. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We're talking to Grace Panetta, who covers politics and elections for the nonprofit 19th News. And Grace, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you've been doing uh, a lot of uh, excellent work around the elections right now. Um, I liked some of the stories that you did uh, that really gave us a rundown of uh, House races that you're watching. You mentioned that uh, although every House seat is on the ballot, fewer than 100 are expected to be competitive, I'd be very interested to hear about which House races you're watching and why you find those interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my uh, editor and I, we put together 2022 House races we're watching in 2022 that have female candidates. So if you're interested in gender on the ballot and women running for office, as we are, definitely go check that out. Um, But thinking specifically about how election night is going to play out, where polls will be closing first. Um, one race I'll be looking to early on in election night is Indiana's first congressional district, which has been held by Democrats uh, for over nearly a century. But it's now very, very competitive. And you have a Republican, Jennifer Ruth Green, who's an Air Force veteran and a black woman uh, Republican trying to flip the seats. There are also a lot of, I think, bellwethers in Virginia have two vulnerable incumbents up, uh, Abigail Spanberger, Elaine Luria. And I think especially what we saw... Last year in Virginia, where parental rights, education, all these issues came to the forefront, those will be really interesting initial things to watch as polls start closing across the nation. You know, what's so interesting, Grace, is I've been reading up on just, I mean, all of the coverage about how election officials are preparing uh, for potential conspiracy-fueled threats, mm-hmm. for voter intimidation. You know, where are the states where you're looking to, where you're expecting that you're going to hear more of those stories coming out of? Yeah, I think Arizona and Nevada are real hotbeds and battlegrounds right now for election denial, for stop-the-steal movements. Arizona, the Republican nominees for the top three offices in the state are, you know, have been endorsed by former President Trump and sought to undermine confidence in their election system. And so the swing states, you could see the most activity around this. 
um, like Michigan, Pennsylvania as well, were in 2020, but it's really everywhere. And that's what makes it so pernicious is that people believing in these kinds of conspiracy theories or misinformation and wanting to act on them. That's what has so many election officials and national security um, experts uh, concerned. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing. Oh, sorry, Celeste, I jumped on you. Did you? Oh, I'm seeing like out of New Jersey, out of Philadelphia, we are uh, we are seeing a number of elected officials come out and like make these statements and make announcements that they're going to do all that they can to prevent any type of voter intimidation. Uh, is that encouraging to you? Or do you think that a lot of this is just kind of like a cover your butt type of thing on officials? Uh um, on officials' parts because they want to be able to say they took these actions, but there's really no meat behind what they're saying. Yeah, it's just important also to keep in mind that election officials are already incredibly under-resourced, overstretched. This was true before 2020. Then you had the double whammy of the pandemic and the rise of this election style movement. So I think the federal government... Um, is providing as many resources as they can, but they're also limited because it's so decentralized. And I just think a lot of election officials are kind of bracing um, for anything that could come up. And again, it could be also, even if there's not outbreaks of violence, which we all hope won't happen, it is like more of a death by a thousand cut situation of more and more unrest, efforts to challenge the results, people not believing the results, conspiracy theories, and that really can wear down a democracy over time. And Grace Panetta, I know you you cover politics from a different angle now, but just drawing on your experience and, and the kinds of things you and I have talked about in the past, you know, one of the things that's really been interesting to me is to see uh, discussion of, and I know the 19th has done some work on this, mm-hmm. the effect on poll workers themselves, people who are, are doing this um, either as a profession or are doing it temporarily, giving their time during election season. And a lot of those people who have experience and know how the system works are just saying, you know what the hell with this i don't need to be harassed i don't need to to have somebody make Mm -hmm. my life hell because i'm trying to get involved in the process curious what what you've been hearing if anything or seeing about people who are just like you know what i don't i don't need to do this in my life i'm getting out of here yeah that's a really really important point celeste i'm actually my colleague barbara rodriguez just published a really good story on this topic and it's true that the election workforce and the volunteer force of poll workers are predominantly female and the women who work in the industry are very overworked and underpaid for the most part. And a lot of the volunteers are predominantly older, retired people who, as you say, were high risk due to COVID and now may not want to deal with some of the intimidation and threats and conspiracies that are going on. And that's another thing. It's also like a death by a thousand cut situation. If you have brain drain from the professional workforce and then of people in the volunteer force just not wanting to come in and sign up and perform that civic duty. And it's one of those things that I feel like we have all also taken for granted. Um, So, for example, this year, this is in my colleague Barbara's article, it's a rise in voter intimidation, Um, like some of the groups that are, you know, monitoring and watching drop boxes in Arizona. Lots of election offices are being slammed with predatory records requests, just general threats, the toll that conspiracy theories take. So it really, you know, does have a significant impact on this workforce. 
Grace Panetta it covers politics and elections for the nonprofit 19th News. Grace Panetta, I just want to go back one second here. Predatory records requests. I, I know what you mean, but uh, maybe yeah. for people who haven't heard, I, I'm sort of sad that we even have to have a phrase like that in our in our lexicon. What are predatory records requests? Let me dig into this more. Um, so a trend that's been arising that election officials have had to deal with since 2020 are people submitting like extremely onerous records requests to election offices seeking to find some evidence of voter fraud, election fraud, a massive conspiracy. This all kind of stems with a lot of the uh, misinformation, disinformation pushed by figures like Mike Lindell, right, who have huge audiences um, and it's, for example, just inundating election offices, requesting to see, you know, ballot images or cast vote records, which may not even exist in a lot of states, or just like tons and tons of records that an office may not even have. And, you know, on the one hand, it, I, as a journalist, always uh, support transparency and uh, availability of public records and that whole process. But when it's coming from like a bad faith perspective, especially people searching for evidence of a mass conspiracy that doesn't exist, that also takes up time and resources on the part of already overextended election officials. So that's another rising trend that we've seen pop up. Grace Panetta, you've also written, I asked you a little bit earlier about House races that you're watching. I should have jumped mm-hmm. to your other story, also excellent and helpful, about the Senate races that you're watching. Maybe share with us a couple that you're going to be keeping your eye on most closely. Yeah, so the Senate battleground, the map is obviously super interesting. Uh, for me, the two closest really wild card races in my mind are in Georgia uh, and Nevada. Um, obviously both have high implications and high stakes for all these issues around democracy we've been discussing. But from our standpoint at the 19th, obviously lots of gender angles too. In Nevada, you have Catherine Cortez Masto, the only Latina in the U.S. Senate, and she's facing really strong headwinds because of how hard Nevada has been hit by the pandemic and whether or not um, abortion can be a compelling issue for voters. Um, and then in Georgia, you know, these really interesting set of races in the Senate race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker and the governor's race, you know, how Stacey Abrams will do after she became a national celebrity and is now on her second try of aiming to seek the governor's office. So those are just two of the really interesting states I'll be watching and very curious about. You know, and Grace, you can't see me, but as you're speaking, I'm shaking my head because yes, these are the ones I'm going to be watching. This is what I've been most interested in following. So thank you for pointing them out. I'm also just looking across you know, the, the country. I'm just wondering where we're going to see, you know, the hotbeds of voter suppression, where mm-hmm. we're going to see more of those efforts. Um, you know, are there, are there some other regions you think that we're not paying attention to where this might crop up? Or have we really just discussed the main ones like, you know, Arizona, for instance? Yeah, I think Arizona is obviously a big one. And for some reason, it just attracted a lot of this activity, election denial, conspiracy activity. But I, I think it's kind of taking root everywhere to varying degrees. There's not a single community, a single state, a single election office that hasn't been affected by the rise in threats and harassment, the rise in misinformation, conspiracies, political polarization around how much people trust their election system. So it is a super multifaceted issue and one that really everywhere is affected by. There's not a place that's completely immune from any of this.
You know, and I have to say, I, I've been seeing a lot of political ads and here in the state, the two things that keep coming up in a number of these ads are obviously uh, crime, bail reform, but also abortion. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm mm-hmm. just curious about your view on what, you, you know, what you think is going to happen. What will we see uh, on Tuesday of next week when it comes to these races in a number of these areas where abortion is such a defining issue? Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question. Um, and the way it's looking at this point, I don't want to make any predictions, but the impact of abortion, you know, is probably not going to be flipping a ton of votes or persuading a lot of voters. But I think it is helpful to Democrats insofar as it'll motivate Democrats to vote when they might have otherwise stayed home. Because in a midterm where the party in power is unpopular, Democrats who aren't super enthused with Joe Biden, you know, may have sat out the election might be more motivated to turn out because of abortion. Um, but I also think, you know, in a place like New York where abortion is legally protected, that may be less salient, especially when there's been so much emphasis in the end stages of the campaign about issues, you know, like crime or like the economy, like inflation. So I think, if anything, the rise of this issue will stem some of the bleeding for Democrats, but it's probably not going to be the saving grace that some might have hoped earlier in the summer, for example. And Grace, as we get ready to close this segment, where can our listeners go if they'd like to follow your work and learn more about your work? Yes, um, if you can read my work and my wonderful colleagues' work at 19thnews.org. And I am on Twitter at Grace underscore Panetta. Grace Panetta, thanks so much for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Always great to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We just spoke to Grace Panetta. She's a political reporter for the 19th News. It's a relatively new platform that focuses sort of on the intersection of politics, policy, gender. Check it out, the 19th News. Our topic today obviously is the midterm. Our special focus today is on threats to democracy. How worried should we be? How worried are you? A little later in the program, we're going to open up those phone lines and ask what you think. So hang tight for our call segment coming up a little later in the program. A quick reminder, if you need information about voting in New York City, check vote.nyc. That's vote.nyc. Your last day to apply in person for an absentee ballot for Tuesday's election is Monday. November 7th. If you are voting by mail, you have until Tuesday, November 8th, Election Day, to either postmark your ballot or you can drop it off in person to your county elections board or at any poll site in your county by the close of polls on Tuesday. Remember, more information at vote.nyc. And as I've talked about on the show before, I early voted here in New York City. But just remember, early voting goes through this weekend. It ends on Sunday. You cannot early vote on Monday. And again, next week, next Tuesday is Election Day. All of these, all of this is so important. These are important topics at an important time. And that is why, again, we do want to take just a brief moment to remind you, our wonderful, amazing, stellar listeners, that this conversation, this show, this station... Absolutely none of this could happen without your help. This is non-corporate or non-commercial WBAI, and we want you to help us keep it that way. So 
Take just a moment. Go to WBAI.org today. Become a BAI buddy like we are in the name of your favorite show. And of course, this is our favorite show, Driving Forces. It only <laughs> takes a minute to support free speech radio. So go to WBAI.org. Give as much as you can to keep us on the air. And don't forget, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. That means your gift is tax deductible. Just go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. Every dollar you give contributes to our ability to keep this station going and to bring you these important, timely conversations about politics, public policy, government, arts, culture, and so much more. It costs us $17,000 a month just to keep our signal alive. That is $17,000 a month to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at Four Times Square. We don't play endless commercials here on WBAI like other radio and TV stations. We don't check uh, take checks from big corporations. We rely on real New Yorkers like you to protect free speech radio. So please, 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 please just take a moment and go to WBAI.org and support our station. And again, you can give any amount that you choose, $25 or $50, more if you can do it. And we know times are tough. But amid tough times, we need places like WBAI to help us through them, to help explain what is going on in our world. You can give one time or even better, you can become a BAI buddy and help us out every month with just a click of your mouse. And remember, most of us, Celeste and I are good examples. We are volunteers. We just celebrated our four-year anniversary of bringing you Driving Forces every week. Celeste and I give our time to WBAI because we believe that New York needs, the greater New York area, needs and deserves an independent free speech radio station like this one. So please chip in by going to WBAI.org and lend a hand. And if you like what you're hearing on Driving Forces, if you think it's important to have a radio station that takes on the big topics like voter disenfranchisement and a station that lets you hear candidates for office from across the political spectrum, well, then why not just take a moment and become a BAI buddy in the name of this program? Again, we tell you this every week. It is so easy. It takes just a few moments Go to WBAI.org and you can set up a recurring donation in the name of this show, which we would love, of course, or any other show. Your help keeps WBAI, the kind of vibrant community radio New Yorkers have supported for more than 60 years. Please consider becoming a BAI buddy to keep our signal on the air and thanks. You are listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here as always with Jeff Simmons. If you're just tuning in, today we're marking the final few days before the midterms with a talk about dangers to democracy. Again, if you need more information about casting your vote in New York City, make sure you go to vote.nyc for details. Our next guest here on Driving Forces is a true expert on election law, somebody I've spoken to for stories for many, many, many years. Jerry Goldfeder is director of the Fordham Law School Voting Rights and Democracy Project and special counsel at Stroke, Stroke and Levon. He serves at the New York City Bar Association's Task Force on the Rule of Law as advisor to the ABA Election Law Committee and as chair of the Voting Rights Task Force of the New York State Bar Association. Without further ado, Jerry Goldfeder, thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Well, it's my pleasure. Good to be with you, Celeste and Jeff. So 
wanted to ask you to come on the program today for a lot of reasons, but uh, mainly or specifically because of this recent piece you did for the New York Law Journal on Samuel Tilden. So for the, the few people who may not know, who is Samuel Tilden and why did you write about him? When I was a kid, Samuel Tilden was a high school and a day, a day camp in Brooklyn. But as it turns out, he had been the governor of the state of New York in the 1800s. And he was the Democratic Party uh, candidate for president of the United States in 1876. The Democrats and Republicans were different then than they are now. So just kind of keep that in mind. He um, lost that election in 1876 and Rutherford B. Hayes, Republican from Ohio, became president. But in truth, the election was stolen from him. It was stolen from him by um, election regulators in several states who were partisans, Republican Party partisans. And despite the actual voting that went on in their states, delivered their electoral college votes uh, to Hayes rather than Tilden. So, in fact, uh, no less a person than the late Chief Justice uh, William Rehnquist wrote a book about uh, this election and said it was stolen from him. So Tilden should have been president, but he wasn't. And nevertheless, he had a pretty good attitude about it, at least in public. Who knows what he said in private. But several months after uh, Hayes uh, went into the White House and uh, Tilden got his walking papers and went back to New York, Hayes, I'm sorry, Tilden spoke to a civic group in New York, in Manhattan, and said, you know, if my voice could reach to every hamlet in the country, I would say, be of good cheer. That's a quote. Be of good cheer. The republic will live. That's an end of quote. In other words, what he was saying was, look, the election was stolen from me. I know that. I should have been in the White House. Hayes is in the White House. That shouldn't have occurred. But look, the republic will survive. We got, we have gotten through a lot in our history, and we will get through this. Now, they had just come off of a civil war, so in, he knew exactly what he was talking about in terms of uh, what, uh, what kind of partisan divide and ideological divide had, uh, had uh, split the country. And, and since then, we've been through a lot, not as bad as the Civil War, but we seem to be approaching the kind of uh, place in the United States where political violence is acceptable, where people who are running for office and getting elected think that the elections are rigged and will not uh, agree if, uh, with the results and won't walk away if they've lost like Tilden. So the question is, do we want to be of good cheer? Well, maybe that's an exaggeration. But we want to do everything we can to embrace an optimistic attitude and work hard to make sure our constitutional democracy survives what's going on. And we need to take a, a page from Tilden's view. We need to uh, look at the bright side, if you will. And believe me, I'm not naive or I'm not a Pollyanna in any way. I think that's that's what what's required of us. We can't throw up our hands and we can't be discouraged by the the right wing that is passing restrictive 
voting rights laws and are threatening uh, uh, the Speaker of the House and wanted to take the governor of Michigan hostage and had an insurrection at the Capitol. We can't let them win. This constitutional democracy we have is way too precious. So I'm with I'm with Tilden from 1876, and that is we need to make sure the republic survives. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and me, Celeste Katz-Marston. Our guest is Jerry Goldfeder, an election attorney and director of the Fordham Law School Voting Rights and Democracy Project. And Jerry, in the, that same piece for the Law Journal that we're, we're talking about here, where you talked about Tilden, you essentially say that you believe that Donald Trump is an anomaly, that there have been... Uh, you know, a series of incumbents who have uh, lost their reelection bids. They did not try to hang on to power. They did not refuse to accept the outcome. Uh, and, you know, easy question here, but how are you so sure? How do you know that Trump is an outlier and not a precedent well, so, setter? So far, he is an anomaly, a terrible one, but so far, he is the only one. Look, we've had 59 presidential elections. In 11 of them, incumbents lost their re-election. Only one of them, Trump, said, I didn't lose. I'm not leaving. Of course, he, he did leave the White House ungraciously, but he did leave. And then we've had non-incumbents as well. Al Gore thought that the Supreme Court snatched away his victory and they did it inappropriately. But nevertheless, he conceded to George Bush. Richard Nixon in 1960, he believed that um, Illinois was stolen from him by the Kennedy forces through Mayor Daley in Chicago, and that Lyndon Johnson's Texas had a bunch of fraudulent votes. He believed that election was stolen from him, but he conceded to John Kennedy. And the irony, both of them were vice presidents at the time they ran for president in uh, 2000 and 1960, and they presided on the following January 6th, and they counted the votes, and uh, Gore announced that uh, Bush was president. Nixon announced that Kennedy was president. So we have a history of peaceful succession. That's what our that's what our country is about. So far, Trump is the anomaly. So far, Trump is the only person who has uh, really put up a fight and uh, done such... Um, such harm to uh, the the culture in our country, infecting it with poisonous uh, um, statements and uh, riling up people that the 2020 election was stolen when everybody knows that that wasn't the case. I hope he continues to be an anomaly, that we don't have any other candidates running for office, whether it's president or mayor or what have you, saying, oh, I really didn't lose, I really won. Um, fortunately, Trump didn't do anything about it after the uh, January 6th attack, other than, you know, flannel mouth for the last uh, year and a half. Um, uh, the military wasn't called out, uh, the, the uh, insurrection was put down, and so on. Hopefully, hopefully, that's the end of it in terms of people acting on this distorted view of the world. Jerry, it's wonderful to have you on the show. The last time Celeste, Jerry, and I ran into each other was Andrew Kurtzman's book party. Uh, 
uh, for the yeah. uh, his new Giuliani book. And I'm sure, Jerry, Great you book. dove, in, dove book. into that as well. It's, it's a terrific book. And Andrew's a great writer. It's his second book on Giuliani, and it really brings us up to date and gives us a real sense of who this guy uh, has been. And uh, I, I recommend it to everybody. I'm with you on that one. So I want to get to another topic. It seems that oh, there was a recent story in the Washington Post, uh, which kind of touched on the, the topic of how we are seeing elections increasingly being fought in courtrooms. And that article had noted the growth in the number of lawsuits filed over redistricting or voter IDs, voting hours, recounts, and other election-related policies. How concerned about that are you, particularly if it includes a number of lawsuits that fail but still take up time in court or ones that could delay outcomes? Well, I'm actually very concerned. Look, I make my living as an election lawyer, but I wouldn't be unhappy at all if the rules were much more simplified so that there wasn't this kind of litigation. Part of the problem is that um, candidates would rather win in court uh, than at the ballot box or that candidates who appear to have lost at the ballot box tried to, tried to overturn it um, in court. Part of the problem of this uh, expansive litigation is um, congressional legislation that allows uh, contributions uh, to candidates that are earmarked for uh uh, legal fights so that federal candidates can spend a lot more money on uh, on recounts, on uh, ballot uh, access litigation, on all sorts of, of, of uh, lawsuits that really gum up the works. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the Congress was uh, prompted to do this by Democratic lawyers um, who are um, – I won't mention names, but are making a lot of money doing this and are getting involved in all sorts of cases really for the sake of making money from them. And so there, there's a real, there's a structural, um, issue here in terms of, of candidates being able to get, uh, huge sums just for those purposes. And that kind of facilitates, uh, uh incentivizes those kinds of litigation. Plus, we just have now a culture that um, allows uh, people to uh, go to court if they don't like the results um, that uh, that occur on Election Day. I think it's terrible. New York, New York has uh, about 50 percent of the election law litigation, according to the Bar Association. Or I should say that was true maybe about 15, 20 years ago. I'm not sure if it continues to be true because there are all these uh, other uh, these these cases in, in a bunch of other states as well. But I think it it's um, you know it, it, in a way it's a it's an American tradition. You don't like a result of this, that, or the other thing, you go to court. Well, it, it just seems to me that we really need to tamp this down in in the election sphere. People should know what the rules are before uh, voting starts abide by the rules, and abide by the results. And if they're really close elections, um, I can understand why a, a court would be brought in to make sure 
that the uh, ballots are counted properly. But other than that, uh, we shouldn't be litigating uh, uh, our way to uh, electing officials. We should be voting for elected officials. Uh, so that's my view. Jerry Goldfeder is an election attorney and director of the Fordham Law School Voting Rights and Democracy Project. And Jerry, I know we only have a few moments here, but before we let you go, um, our earlier guest, Grace Panetta, is uh, a reporter for the the 19th News. She covers uh, politics and elections, and she's been covering uh, election administration for quite a while. And she brought up something that I'm curious to know what you think of it, uh, about this sort of uh, proliferation of, of what are called predatory records requests from election authorities where people come in and basically ask for a ton of of outlandish or non-existent information about uh, ballots cast or other documents have you been seeing or hearing anything about this is this how big of a thing is this it's not big in new york but it is it's it's a growing phenomenon and it's just part and parcel of uh an effort to gum up the works to raise questions about the legitimacy of elections. Uh, it's, it's in the same vein of these so-called election deniers uh, working as poll workers, uh, not only poll observers, but poll workers, and uh, challenging the results uh, of their own boards of elections, or whatever they call them in various states. It's, it's an overall attack on the legit- legitimacy of elections in the United States that we've not seen not only in our lifetime, but we've not seen in our, in our history. It's, it's true that elections have always, uh, there's always been close elections and challenged elections, um, but not to this degree and not in this insidious way by attempting to uh, make it difficult, if not impossible, for election workers to do a fair and honest and efficient job. And that's what this is, is, a, is a part of. And it's really, it, it's very discouraging to see it. And uh, if people want to find out more about you, Jerry Goldfeder, and the work you do, or about the Fordham Law School Voting Rights and Democracy Project, where can they look? Well, they can look at the Fordham Law School uh, Voting Rights and Democracy Project <laughs> website. You can fight a smart you guy look, on the radio, and that's what you get. You could look me up at Strook, S-T-R-O-O-C-K dot com, uh, or could, they can just ask you. <laughs> Perfect. Jerry Goldfeder, always a pleasure to have you uh, here on WBAI with us. We will check back with you soon. My pleasure. You take care, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. This is Driving Forces on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. Remember, we stream live. Now it's that time, time for you, our listeners, to weigh in. Here's the number to call, 212-209-2877. That is the number to call to weigh in on what you've heard today, 212-209-2877. Do you think American democracy is on the brink? Are you worried about political violence or voter disenfranchisement? Do you have confidence in our electoral system? What is on your mind? 212-209-2877 is our studio listener line. Again, 212-209-2877. Give us a call at that number. 
212-209-2877. We'll be right back to hear from you. House. Don't dream it's over here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz. Marston, my co-host, of course, the wonderful Jeff Simmons. So it's officially time now for you to talk. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What did you think of uh, what President Biden had to say about the fragility of our democracy in his address last night? Who do you blame for all this hyper-partisan rhetoric we're seeing and hearing even political violence, election deniers running for office, threats to poll workers. What's on your mind? 212-209-2877-212-209-2877. We're going to go right to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? And where are you calling from? Hi, Jeff. Jeff? Hello? Yes? Hi, Jeff. I'm curious to know if, if you know why the letter signed by AO. Uh, okay, unfortunately, we have lost that call. Uh, maybe we should just move on to our next caller. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Yes, I'm Gene. I'm from Rockland County. What's going on, Gene? Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm watching this whole thing unfold. I mean, I watched, I went through Watergate when I was younger. I mean, um, I'm, I'm totally appalled by w- what's happening. And I'm thinking, what, what is mainstream, you know, people, like, where are they at with this? I mean, there shouldn't be really, I could understand, you know, you're, 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 you're supporting the Republican Party as a party that respects the Constitution and our, our republic, but to throw their weight, you know, like a lot of mainstream people are just like thinking, you know, somehow it's become so mainstream to just accept that what's going on with this extremism now and I'm just wondering, like, where are these people at? I mean, what? What? Don't they know that 65 judges, you know, rejected the, the, the claims of, of this whole thing? I mean, 
you know, this whole Trump thing, I mean, this whole thing is, is crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me. It, it, the, the, we shouldn't be under this kind of threat. And we, I, I feel like, you know, I marched in um, uh, anti-nuclear in the 80s, you know, and uh, Iraq, mm-hmm. 2003, I was in the city February 15th. I mean, maybe is it, wh- what is it that the left, why can't we, you know, get on top of this and save this country, this republic? That's what I want to know. You know, like what what's going on with that? Well, it's a it's a great question. Thank you, Gene, for your call. Well, maybe that's something that you should call in about 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. What is it going to take to cool this down, to get people to um, believe the truth, which is that, uh, yeah, there are little bobbles along the way, but primarily our election system is safe, reliable, accurate, legitimate. 212-209-2877. Back to the phones, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is John from the Bronx. What's up, John? Well, I think we got to get money out of politics because it has just corrupted both of these parties to such a degree that that's why none of it works. The Republicans... Uh, would not be a threat that they are if there was actually a opposition party that is representing the people and that is not the Democrats and is certainly not the squad. They stink on ice. Uh, and uh, I don't know what what is the price that they become corrupt or just totally ineffective and out of touch. Because uh, that's what that—that's all this is, basically. The Democrats can't say anything obvious. What the Democrats could have put Trump on his heels if they supported uh, 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 single payer. Instead, they—they're they're running on these issues that are just totally garbage, and they—they've messed up like abortion. They let that happen. This Barack Obama was a total creep. And he go he campaigns on saving uh, abortion, and then when he gets elected, he say he make, at, a, at a press conference saying that's not one of my big priorities. Huh. So the Democrats stink on ice; they're horrible. And Trump was only able to do whatever he was able to do because he received no opposition from any of the Democrats. Who I, I, I don't know any of them mm-hmm. have any integrity. Uh, okay. I have been rep- represented by this Jamal Bowman. And he was on uh, education at the crossroads, and he and the, the host let him just basically do a you know, like a stump speech. He didn't address anything. He basically covers his ass about being confronted about being a warmonger and supporting that. And uh, you know, nobody's holding him accountable. Not even on this station. Okay, well, thank you so much for giving us a call today. We're going to see if we can squeeze in another call. Uh, I believe we may have one more. Let's put that next call on the line. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Anthony, how are you? Hi, can you speak up a bit? Yeah, my name is Anthony. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, Anthony. Thank you so much. What is on your mind today? Uh, There's a lot, especially that gentleman who spoke. I think he's living in another world. The Republican Party had a chance to get rid of Trump when he was impeached for January 6th. And they gave him a pass knowing he still controlled the, the Pied Piper. He still controlled the thing. They yelled at him, blah, blah, blah. They kept him there. He could have been impeached and never serve again. Fox News, to that man who was the speaker, Fox News is what wasn't there in 2000, 
in 64 and in 60. Fox News wasn't there spreading one particular line for what they wanted to do. That's what they're up against. And it's not the Democratic Party. There's the money behind them, and they can say what they want because they don't get away with it. They do get away with it, the Republicans, because they have the real money behind them. They have the dark money that was put in place. And to the people, to the voters out there, you're in this place, to the Democratic voters who didn't vote in 2016, who stood home in 2016. Mm-hmm. If 2016 doesn't happen, Donald Trump disappears. Oh, I, I, I take your point and thank you. Thank you for your call. We're, we're going to try to get to one more call here. Great calls today. Lots of people with uh, a lot of passionate feelings about this. Uh, last caller, uh, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hi, I'm Rose from Flemington, New Jersey. And I just want to say this much. Although I'm too old and now blind, I follow politics very closely. I used to, I used to uh, do the polls and um, be a poll watcher in Manhattan. <laughs> if everybody is so unhappy, whatever side it is, who does it, volunteer to be a poll watcher? The, the maggots will be there, but they won't mess with women. <laughs> Either party. Well, that's uh, that's very interesting. I'm so I'm so glad that you. Uh, how many years did you spend uh, uh, doing this? I'm so glad you brought a few, this up. A few in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And people people treat you decently. By and large, but there was a few creeps. Uh, we have to get there to to balance out what the what these people think that they can spin doctor up into the news media. A lot of women show up and want to be poll watchers too. It's going to work. <laughs> well, that's Thank that's you. definitely something for for people to uh, to consider. And now you're you're not you're talking about not being a temporary board of elections worker. You're talking about being an observer. Either one, or both. You know, do 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 one one or the other, and get your friends to do it as well. Perfect. There's a well, shortage thank you. of poll workers because the average age is sixty one. We need mm-hmm. young people who can go and work the polls. You know, to to get into the system, and we need friends of the of these people out on the streets saying, "Oh, we're going to watch you, MAGA." Well, that, that, that's a very good point. And thank you so much for your call. I'm glad you brought this up because that is true. We do have, uh, quite a lot of poll workers, not just in New York, but across the country who've been doing this for quite a while, are familiar with the system, but are also, uh, either, uh, sort of aging out, feeling like there, there are other things to do with their time. The pandemic made that tough. And also because people, um, can be quite, uh, abusive or intimidating many times to people who are, are doing this work. It's a, a very, very long day there's training involved um you know there's there's a lot of knowledge there and people do get testy when things don't go exactly as they want to or even things that uh, may not uh, be within the control of poll workers such as long lines or a machine breakdown so um taking to heart what the caller is talking about here uh you know think about if you're not happy with the way things are looking or the way things are working getting involved becoming uh, a uh, election day worker or becoming uh, a poll observer. Lots of ways to uh, to make your presence and your voice known here. Um, we are in the final stretch of the program. Real quick, Jeff, do we know what's coming up next? 
Yes, on Sunday at City Watch, 10 a.m. in the morning, David Brand will be hosting. We're going to continue our election coverage with Jeff Colton from City and State to talk elections and take listener calls. And David will also be joined by Darren Mack and Crystal Clark from the Freedom Agenda to discuss the plan to close Rikers and house formerly incarcerated New Yorkers. One last reminder that your contribution to help keep free speech radio alive here at WBAI all year round is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to support this station. That's WBAI.org. Thanks to our special guests today, Grace Panetta of the 19th News and Jerry Goldfeder of the Fordham Law Voting Rights and Democracy Project. Thanks as always to you, our listeners, and to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. If you missed any part of the show, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz, Marston, and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening. Now stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio.